introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Let's do it. Five seconds to go in the first half. Dante fires deep to the left. Moss caught it at the 11, but now he pitches it. To Williams. Touchdown. You got a big And welcome back to another episode of the Climbing the Pocket podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at Brown Jason. And uh, hey, we're rolling light today, but we're still rolling pretty powerful. QB1, he has twins. And every now and again, you know, duty calls. Actually, most of the time, a lot of the time, duty calls. The, the twins are on 10. So JR is holding it down, doing what he's supposed to be doing. Our man, Saxy Prince, is a. Uh, Back at the improv studio, doing a bit of acting. Who knows? He may pop in depending on how long how long this thing goes. Which means I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, the last cornerback not named Bryce Callahan to put the clamps on Adam Thielen. Miles Gorham, <laughs> wide receiver one. How you doing? How you been? My claim to fame. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and nobody, and nobody knows about. Oh. Nobody knows about. We're just gonna <laughs> remind them every week. <laughs> I'm doing good. I uh, missed last week's show. I was in a, I was traveling for work, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we said some words for you to, to get I you back that. safely. We were worried for you, man. We were worried. Yeah, I was worried for myself. <laughs> well, let's jump into this because uh, we got a lot to talk about here. Obviously, training camp, training camps are kicking off all around the NFL. We, so we made it. We made, we made it. it. We did make it. We did make it. But before we get to our Vikings, um, there's some other stuff we got to talk about because. You know, with training camp starting, we got some holdouts kicking in. And, you know, it seems like this used to happen maybe a lot more back in the day, or maybe I'm misremembering, but this year it seems like we have some really big names who are holding out. And we'll start off with some guys who maybe it feels like learned the wrong lesson from Le'Veon <laughs> Bell last year. But let's start with these running backs, Miles, because I'm trying to understand where you're at with it. Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, both of them have said they are underpaid. They're probably not wrong. Well, and they want is, more money. What? Hold up. Hold up. Yeah. Like, if we look at Ezekiel Elliott's uh, contract, not saying I'm not saying I'm I'm all for every player getting as much money as they can. So I'll and we've always we've talked about this. I'm never against. I'll never be on the owner's side when a player holds up for more money because for what these players go through, but. Zeke's making $7 million, almost $8 million this year. And Melvin Gordon is making, of course, it's slow. Um, Melvin Gordon's set to make 5.6. Not that, not that those guys don't, don't deserve or, or want more, shouldn't get more money based off what the market's telling them, based off the work that they put in. Um, but, like, these guys aren't some of these, like, third-round guys making – a million dollars they're making decent change for running especially when you look at the running back numbers but i understand the long-term security that they want to get because i'm all i'm all for that and i totally understand it just like I, how i was with uh levy on bell last year i mean and that's really what it boils down to and i get it and i and you know we often are out there and i t you know i will say somewhat your know, tongue-in-cheek but also you know the running back position is probably one of the more replaceable positions in sports it's not that these guys aren't phenomenal athletes it's that finding a person who can run and carry a football or run and cut 
is a lot easier than finding, you know, someone who can run routes or read defenses the way that wide receivers need to, or do all the things that a tight end needs to, or do everything that a quarterback needs to. It's just easier to find guys to do that. And over time, what we've learned is that, you know, the incredible athleticism that these guys bring to the table doesn't matter as much when you differentiate them from like a replacement level player. And so the teams, the league, seem to have gotten, I guess, what we quote-unquote smarter about paying the position. So I get the team's perspective, but I also get where a guy like Zeke's coming from, where he's like, this team plans to run me into the ground this year. I want some security for the next couple of years. I just don't want to go rookie deal, 50-year option, maybe get the franchise tag, maybe get the franchise tag again, and then I'm just out in the streets with kind of nothing beyond that. Yep. So... Yeah, I get where they're coming from. I guess from your perspective, um, really understanding both sides of things, how do you expect these things to get worked out based on what's going on with these two different teams? Well, and you had touched on that. Some teams, they, they seem to be a lot more like understanding of not paying running backs. So that That's a, a good thing in my eyes because the money that they're spending on running backs, they can put toward more important other more, more important positions. But uh, the issue, I think, especially in these two situations where I believe especially Zeke, Zeke more than Gordon, but I'll say both because they both live in similar situations. Uh, Both of them were high first round picks. So the Cowboys literally drafted Zeke with the fourth overall pick. So like they invested heavily in him. So Zeke understands that. Like you said, Zeke knows they're going to run him into the ground. They're going to use him. They're going to put, they added him more in the passing game last year. So he's going to see 400 plus, uh, you know, 300 plus uh, rushes uh, and probably, you know, another 70 to, to 80 targets could be even more than that um, in the passing game. So they're going to ask him to do a lot. And, and like, just like Le'Veon Bell, these guys want their money, like give them, give these guys their money. Cause in these situations, if you're going to run us into the ground, we have more, more of a likely chance of getting hurt. So I want that long-term security from you guys. Cause you know, I'm going to put the work in, you know, I'm going to, get the four, the 400 touches or whatever that is. So, um, yeah, just like, like show me that, show me that I'm worth that. Um, so I, I totally get it from their vantage point. Uh, I'd struggle. I would, I to be honest, I, it's not that I wouldn't give Zeke a new contract. Not that I wouldn't give Mel- Melvin Gordon a new contract. Uh, it's just about where that number hits. Like you're these guys and they're, you know, a guy like Zeke, he's probably going to want, you know, a dollar similar to what Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, um, some of these running backs, you know, those high-paid running backs got, and I don't blame them. But as a t- as a team and an organization, I'm I'm not doing that. All right. So from your perspective, if we're just looking at average per year here, we got uh, Todd Gurley. Which you know, the funny thing about the Gurley deal, I mean, he was at uh, you know fourteen point four million per year, but I mean, he only got twenty one, tw- basically twenty two million in guaranteed. So his total guaranteed percentage was about thirty eight percent. Lev Bell for everything that everyone said about him. Well, doesn't he have like 45 in guarantees, but it's, was it 22 full guaranteed or what? Yeah. So Le'Veon Bell's at 51% uh, guaranteed at uh, at 13 mil a year. Then you got David Johnson at uh, 13 million a year with 63% guaranteed. Then you have a big tier drop drop down to (laughs) Devontae Freeman, who's at 8.3 mil per year. Just kind of seeing that top tier of guys over like who are well over 10 mil and then your Devonte Freemans, et cetera, who are you know under or eight or under. What's the highest you would go 
to keep your you know your stud running back like a Zeke Elliott happy and or or even a Melvin Gordon like what are the numbers looking like for you for both those guys yeah so for me for Zeke I'm, I'm looking at like a Devontae Freeman style contract you know the eight to ten million a year I probably would struggle going any higher than that if Zeke didn't you know they've they've been asking Zeke to kind of rush the ball a little bit more or not rush uh, receive the ball they put up they involved him heavily in the passing game last year so if they're going to start doing that more often I'd understand his vantage point of you know, I want to be paid like an, you know, like Le- what Le'Veon Bell's whole situation was. You guys basically treat me like a a receiver who can run the ball, so I want to be paid like that. So basically, I want to be paying like a, a wide receiver too, uh, with with being paid a running back. So I'd say in that eight to ten range for Zeke, uh, and that's not me trying to say that Zeke's not good as an athlete. Like you said, Zeke's a, a phenomenal athlete. I think he's argu- arguably the best running back in in the game. You could, you know, whatever the arguments you want to have about you know him Barkley and some of those other guys that's fine um but I think the argument could be there for Melvin Gordon though with a lot of the injuries he's had I'd really struggle giving him anything more than like a a five or six million dollar a year kind of what he's making now um type of contract because yes he's a really good player he's he's uh evolved especially the last couple of uh uh seasons after his you know having a pretty rough rookie season uh, after that, though, I mean, I'd, I'd really struggle giving more than that for the simple fact of of the injuries, the the long term effects of you know he's probably only got a few more years left in him. Possibly, I I know he's still only 26 years old, but you know you got to expect guys that are, get injured quite a bit and they're uh, they carry the load as much as he does. They're probably going to get their shelf life's probably not going to last as long. So um, he's the type of guy I wouldn't want to give much guaranteed money to or a lot of per year dollars. Okay, well, that makes sense. Let's make sense. Well, let's move along from uh, you know, that position that quote unquote doesn't matter to a position that uh, that matters quite a bit with uh, Michael Thomas holding out. What are your thoughts on this, and uh, how do you think that situation is going to get resolved? This is per- this is. I mean, he's to me, Michael Thomas is probably the perfect example of a guy that deserves to hold out until he gets paid like he deserves because that man's really been the catalyst of that entire Saints offense since they drafted him. They were willing to trade away Brandon Cooks. Um, they were pretty much willing to, outside of running it through Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, basically just run their entire offense through him. Uh, he, I think he's got – we don't need to go through the records or receptions and all that. Uh, but he's he's done pretty well uh, for being a second-round pick and, and having five other receivers go before him. We won't, we won't name the other ones. but <laughs> um, Yeah, like um, you said there, like uh, – you know, there's probably no player who stands to gain as much because as I'm reading over here is that uh, he's only scheduled to make 1.14 yeah. mil on this final year of his rookie deal. So it makes sense that he's going to be looking to get up there and get paid like some of those other receivers that are making quite like 18, a bit yeah. more than that. Well, quite a bit more. And they're going to ask Michael Thomas to ha- to see 175 targets or some crazy number. Um, and like I said, carry their offense. And uh, especially for a guy like Drew Brees, who's not going to be asked to throw as much, but when they do, it's going to be to Michael Thomas. And they, the Saints came out and said they, they're okay pay, making him the highest paid receiver in the league. That's all, fine, that's all fine and dandy. You know, it sounds like they've had some contract negotiations, obviously, but everybody gets this perception that just because the Saints said that they're willing to pay him like the top, uh, the top receiver in the league doesn't mean the, the contract will, ref, will reflect that. It might look on the surface like that, but like Jason, you and I know, you know, these contracts are great and all uh, for some of these guys, they they look really big, but when you get into the nitty gritty of things, when you got to look at the fully guaranteed deals, 
and money more than you look at the uh, um, the total number. You gotta look what what's the fully guaranteed amount of money that this guy's getting compared to uh, the rest of the league. And that's what Michael Thomas is looking at. He's like, great, you could give me a five year. I don't know what's uh, what was Odell's deal like five years, eighty ninety million dollars. Yeah, ninety like mil that. is the the total value of that contract. Eighteen mil but per. You, you know, you know, Michael Thomas is looking for a number like that, but you know, he's looking for whatever the uh, whatever the full guarantees full guarantees are of that deal is is what's really the most important to him because that's that's what you know you're pocketing. So it looks like Odell got. 41 million at sign guaranteed at signing total 65. So you know that he's probably looking, I would probably bet in the 45 to 50 million guaranteed at signing type of deal for Michael Thomas. So um, that's a tough, that's a tough thing for the, um, the saints, the way they've put themselves in their contract situations with Drew Brees and, and all that. So that's, that's really tough, but I mean, he deserves it. So I I have no issue with Michael Thomas uh, holding out. He deserves the money. All right. Well, the salary cap is a myth, so I'm sure they'll figure yep. it out. We're going to run through a couple real quick here, real quick, so we don't need too much in terms of analysis here. But Jadavion Clowney, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, some edge rushers holding out for some more money. How do you think those ones are going to go? Real quick. Yeah, I think Yannick uh, Ngakwe deserves to be paid like the high, one of the highest um, edge rushers in the league. Um, the guy's been phenomenal, so um, I don't blame him for holding out. Go get your money. Um, Jadavion Clowney. I mean, I think his biggest issue has obviously been health, but he's been productive when he's healthy. So I don't blame him either. He's on the franchise tag making like what's 17, 18 million this year. Uh, could be a little more than that, but um, he wants that long term security too. So I don't blame him. Um, I bet he gets, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets traded though at some point. Oh, wow. Okay. And the last one here, because you know, this player plays offensive tackle. And uh, as Vikings fans, we have been conditioned now that anytime someone who plays on the offensive line might be made available, of course they're coming to our team. So what are your thoughts on what's going on with uh, with Trent Williams and uh, the word that he is not happy in Washington, some word that he might not be able to pass a conditioning test, but he's just not really about it. How do you see that situation working out? Yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't understand. I don't fully understand what, I mean, he wants a new deal and I get it. He's been really, he's arguably the best when healthy, best left tackle. You can make a argument for him, Tyron Smith, Tyron Smith, a few other guys as the best uh, left tackles in the game. Um, so I get it from that perspective, but he's 31. He's coming out some injuries. Uh, so from a Washington perspective, it'd be really hard to want to re up him again and pay him more. But at the same time, there's that, you know, the whole legacy situation of he's a legacy player. He's arguably what a hall of fame caliber left tackle, uh, letting those guys walk out the door. Not that you just, you should just pay him because he's, you know, a, a future potential hall of famer. But, um, you know, I think you want to keep that relationship good down the road, uh, because, you know, legacy players, are, they're important to your brand, to your, to your team, your franchise, whatever, whatnot. But, uh, I'm not really sure how this is going to play out. I mean, if he's not in shape, if he's if he's not really like healthy, then to get a new contract makes zero sense. So you you'd expect maybe a, a new team would look to try to trade for him. Uh, but at that same time, I mean, to me, if he's not in shape, it's already August. It's really hard to you know be satisfied with wanting to spend draft capital and uh, and pay him basically almost fifteen million dollars this year for a guy that's not healthy and 
not in shape. I mean, obviously, they're just going to take Reef and Treadwell off our hands, <laughs> and everyone's yeah. problems are solved. They get a left tackle. We get Trent Williams. Yep. Treadwell's off the books. I mean, why wouldn't they want to help us out like that? <laughs> uh, okay, so the next thing we had kind of slated to talk about, but I don't want to go too deep into this because what I'm going to say is if anyone wants to go really deep on the Holton Hill situation, uh, our boy Luke Braun, Locked On Vikings podcast, had an entire episode about the Holton Hill situation and really the pros and cons, weighing out the full argument. So what I'm going to say is if you want to get really deep dive into the Holton Hill, the Holton Hill situation, head on over. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Check out Luke's podcast on it because, uh, yeah, he goes, he goes in on that situation and uh, has a lot of thoughts there that I'm sure are going to you know, ruffle some feathers of, of a few people here and there. <laughs> so without going too deep into the whole thing, Miles, what are your thoughts on the Holton Hill suspension and where are you predicting that this whole thing ends up? I mean, it's not even a full eight game suspension. It's not like a one eight game. It's a two, it's two four game suspension. So you pretty much just double down on stupid. Um, like we've been, we've talked about it too. Like we'd, Weed's not a problem to me. I, I I don't think it should be illegal in the NFL, but it is. So um, until it's not, guys need to be careful about getting caught smoking weed. I mean, straight up. Uh, the performance enhancing stuff, though, that one I'll never I'll never defend. That I don't care what happens unless you know you're drug you're drugged by somebody that unwillingly, which usually doesn't happen. Um, so these guys come out and with BS statements saying that they had no idea what they put in their bodies, but they put it in their body anyways. So. Um, that's really always hard for me to, um, to kind of believe. So I don't, I mean, dude's got to grow up a little bit. He's got to figure it out. If he wants to stick in the league, he's going to have to, he's going to have to do a little bit better of a job of, um, timing for one and, uh, just making sure he understands what he's putting in his body. I don't believe the Vikings should cut him just for the simple fact that he doesn't make much money at all. He makes like no, he's, he's free basically compared to your cap when you're really looking at things. Um, he's a solid depth corner who you're trying to develop. Um, so I, I just don't see any reason to need to cut him, uh, right now. I mean, if, if things happen again or anything happens down the road, you can cut bait really easily at any, at any point you can cut bait easily, but he won't count against your 53 for eight games. You get him during all of the preseason and camp. Um, so you can kind of continue to develop him there while also letting him, uh, pretty much take as many reps in preseason as he want to. So to me, it's just like having a free body that you know has has some some decent potential uh, that could come back and help your team depth wise down the road. So to me, I I just don't see any reason into like potentially cutting him right now because you don't need to you don't need to cut him in order to keep somebody else right now because he's suspended. So you can just keep him on the suspended list. Well, if you, there's somebody you want to keep for the first eight weeks of the season, so that's kind of where I stand on that. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. I guess you and Luke have been talking, but I don't want to spoil <laughs> that podcast. Definitely go check it out. Uh, Luke, because Luke is a fair and unbiased person, he does present all sides of the argument. And he is a friend of the network, former host on the uh, Climbing the Pocket Network. So we got to support the fam. Check it out. Locked on Vikings. You won't be disappointed. All right. That's enough of uh, stuff going on. I guess the negativity, the holdouts, the suspension, <laughs> the, all that stuff. Um, yeah, let's talk, uh, Vikings training camp. It's going down miles and you missed last week where we talked yeah. about some of these things and, uh, 
it was a very exciting time. JR got to go back to the draft, relive everything that the Vikings did, really give us breakdowns, scouting reports on all of the guys the Vikings picked up. We went deep, talking about Garrett Bradbury, the things he would need to work on. But I feel like everybody knows all of those guys. Everyone has the names, the big name, uh, the big name guys, and all of that stuff here. But Miles, I know that you know from a draft perspective, you dig deep to really understand what's going on. Maybe at the back end of the, the, the back end of the draft as well. And I know that you've been paying attention to some of the moves the Vikings have been making here and there. So I am looking for uh, for your thoughts as you know training camp kicks off. Who are the underrated under the radar guys or the guys who? Uh, maybe might surprise based on their previous year's performance that you're going to be looking for once the pads actually come on and they start doing real football, not just the walkthroughs with, uh, you know, helmets and shorts. Yeah. I'll start with Holden Hill. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I'll start with the, uh, the offensive line just because I think that's the, obviously the hot button, easy, easy spot to kind of decipher. We will stay away from the starters outside of, I believe, Josh Klein doesn't get enough. Not I'm not going to say the word love because I don't. You don't need to love Josh Klein as a right guard, but I just don't think he gets enough credit for um, being a pretty solid right guard for four years and then having one down year. And now all of a sudden he's just terrible um, after getting contract extension last off season from Tennessee before they um, asked him to take a pay cut. So um, he, in every situation, said no, which I don't blame him, and got more money anyway. So. Um, but I think he's a solid starter, and I think they they made a decent move in getting him based off, especially based off of where they were cap wise and uh, and kind of what was left on the market. But we didn't need to go down that road again. Um, but under the radar, back to the offensive line, I I know he struggled a little bit last year, but as a depth guy, I think Brett Jones doesn't get enough credit. Um, he came in literally at the end of the uh, preseason last year, got thrown in. Uh, I think people were expecting a lot more from him, which um, rightfully so, but I believe that um, if he's going to stay at center as a backup, and let's say hypothetically Bradbury, something happens to Bradbury, whatever, I think Brett Jones is a very capable starting, uh, very capable backup center who has the ability to start uh, games for you. I mean, was it two years ago he started for the, uh, the Giants and he was by far their best offensive lineman? It wasn't saying much, but he averaged, I think he overall, I think he was like the 15th best center in football. Uh, that year, which um, that's solid to me. Like that's a, like our starting center for two straight years was basically the worst starting center in a league. If you get that plus average, you're, you're looking at a pretty solid center. So I think um, Brett Jones, there's one guy to keep an eye on. Um, I'm really curious to see how Dakota Dozier does. I know he's got some history with Rick Dennison and from the jets. So I'll be curious to see how that goes. And then I'm really looking at the tight end position. What are they? Are they? I would assume based off the fact that they're looking to have, uh, you know, probably being a lot of two tight end sets, they're probably going to look at keeping four up to four tight ends this year rather than the normal three that they've been doing the last few years. So, is that Tyler? Is that you know, you look at obviously Kyle Rudolph's going to be here, Irv Smith Jr., the second round pick's going to be here. You'd uh, expect David Morgan, who's their bet, arguably their best blocker on the entire offensive line. Um, to be uh, <laughs> to be to be there, I, I'd I'd see no reason. He's in a contract year, but I'd see no reason to to cut him. That'd be a, that'd be a terrible move. And then Tyler Conklin, who was a fifth round pick last year, uh, I think he started to show improvement. It sounds like he's shown improvement in the spring. So you hope he continues to progress. 
So they're right there. You have four tight ends, but then you have guys like Cole Hecatini that they got off of uh, the practice squad or waivers. What is it from San Francisco last year? Uh, this guy, Brandon Dillon. So they have some guys that, you know, I, I'm just curious to see what they do there. I believe Tyler Conklin could be a guy that could stick though. Um, so I'm curious to see about that. Um, I believe the the wide receiver position, obviously I'm, you know, I'm always going to talk about that, but looks like Chad Beebe's probably got the best shot at winning the third, the third spot. What does that mean in this offense? It probably doesn't mean a lot. Um, I've been a big proponent in the fact that I don't believe that they have enough true proven depth behind Thielen and Diggs. Uh, it's, it's all fine and dandy. And I understand if you're only doing two wide receivers and two tight ends, like you don't need as much top end talent at wide receiver, which I'm not going to, that's BS to me. You always need top end talent. I don't care how far back in depth you're going. Um, because of what happens if one of those guys goes down, you're not going to, I don't, you're not going to recover the same way. Uh, not even close. If one of those guys goes down because you're still going to two tight ends sets. Uh, it just hurts your offense, hurts your downfield ability. Um, okay, so with, so with you saying that, that, with you saying that, because I know that earlier in the offseason we talked a little bit about some of these wide receivers, and you know, uh, Jr. a couple of weeks ago famously was like, oh, they're all kind of the same to me because they're just kind of right now they're just kind of dudes. Yep. But based on what you've seen, is there anyone on this team that you're expecting at the wide receiver position? So maybe one of these tight ends kind of emerges and, and, and carves out a niche role as a, as a move tight end or something like that. But are there any of these receivers that, uh, that you could see being like our next Stefan Diggs, our next Adam Thielen, the guy that seemingly came out of nowhere, but once given opportunity really blew up and established himself as a, as a, as a guy who deserved to be here. Man, I, that's really tough. I mean, I know everybody's really, you know, any any rookie, no matter where they're taken, excuse me, in the draft, people are always going to get excited about him. So seventh round pick, Dylan Mitchell, um, Ola B.C. Johnson, another seventh round pick from Colorado State. Both of those guys, I've, I kind of compared them to kind of Thielen and Diggs and the simple fact that Dylan Mitchell's like style of play. I'm not saying as a prospect, as a player, as a potential ceiling, um, but more of just like style of play. Dylan Mitchell fits more of that Stephon Diggs role. And he's got that he's got that run after the catch. He's got that quick twitch, um, good stop start, you know, um, sudden movement type of style of play. While there's Ola BC, you know, or had, uh, BC Johnson, um, he's kind of got that more of that bigger slot receiver style guy who can play outside. Um, has really good hands. Is really good fundamental solid route runner, kind of like an Adam Thielen. So there's that similar play style, but their ceilings are nowhere near. Uh, digs or feeling so that's really hard for me to be like oh yeah we have those two guys so we're good I mean I'm not and that's not me saying that either one of those guys couldn't become something but to kind of expect or think that right now that they could be even close to a, a digs or feeling is just really hard for me to it's really off base Chad Beebe has the best opportunity to me to be uh, to be a, a guy um, to be a, a, a solid overall contributor contributor to an NFL offense um, you saw last year you saw in some of the preseason uh, the guy's got really good moves off the line. My biggest issue with him is he's really pigeonholed into what his role is, and that's basically just a slot receiver that's going to win short area routes, which is fine. That's There's no problem with that. Um, but he's not going to beat you downfield. He's not going to beat you past 7, 8, you know, 7 to 10, 12 yards. He's he's not doing that, and that's okay for his role, but it kind of puts him into this this box of what he's going to be able to do at this level. You have, you know, you have guys like Brandon Zilstra, but he's already like 26, 27. So that's really hard to kind of 
expect anything else from him. Not that he can't be a depth contributor to special teams and all that. Uh, the one guy, though, I would say that has an opportunity to maybe contribute, even if it's a, at a small level. And this is a guy that I've – or the style of player that I've been kind of wanting the Vikings to go out and get, and I still would like them to do that. But Jeff Badette, uh, Badet Badette, I'm not 100% sure. Out, um, he's a, He was out of uh, – he was a college free agent last year out of Oklahoma. The dudes ran like a 4-2-8 at his Ryan, pro day. Ryan, uh, is that you? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's got the digs feeling potential, but I think the guy has an opportunity to be a contributor because he can take the top off of a defense and he can run the deep posts. He can run the go routes. He's not really a contested catch guy, though. That's the tough part. So like if he's winning him winning downfield against some of these cornerbacks that aren't just going to let him blow by them, uh, that's where my biggest issue with him is. But um, there's there's a there's a niche role that he can play in an in an offense if he's if he progresses during this uh, preseason to do it. Then the last guy is kind of Jordan Taylor. Um, he's been around uh, with uh, in Denver with Kubiak and, but he's not really much of anything. He's probably just a an uptick from what Laquan Treadwell is in terms of uh, what he can do. That's not saying a lot, and that's not me calling Jordan Taylor bad. I just think it's more about the fact that he's a big body guy that doesn't really get much separation. So you're really relying on him to, to win contested catches a lot. And that's tough to, that's tough to ask of any receiver. Uh, but especially when a guy that, that can't really create too much separation and uh, doesn't really beat you too much uh, athletically. So uh, to me, this over, overall, this, the wide receiver, and I didn't even talk about Treadwell because there's really no more to talk about. I told my, I told myself after year three, I gave him three years. It's over. <laughs> um, but the, there, there really isn't any guy to hear that really to me stands out. I'm like, oh my god, that that guy's gonna be the guy that's gonna step up and and help contribute and be a guy for this offense behind Thielen and Diggs. I'm hoping someone proves me wrong. You always hope that, but it just doesn't seem like any of these guys are really uh, that. And that's not me saying BB won't be solid either, because I think he's gonna be a really solid contributor to this offense. All right. So what I took from all of that is you know, we have the offensive linemen that you have that are under the radar. So we're, we're going to be looking for both of them, Josh Klein, Brett Jones. And then of the, the tight ends that you mentioned there, just kind of reviewing them really quickly, Tyler Conklin looks to be the one that would have the biggest opportunity to, to do something. The rest of our tight ends really seem like they are um, smaller David Morgan types. And then uh, Jeff Bidette Bidet. I will consult with the internet to figure out how to pronounce his name correctly. Should you be proven right that he can be the player that steps in and stretches the field the way that we want someone to. Those are the guys I'm putting you down for as uh, the players to watch. Yeah, that's on offense. Then I didn't even talk about the QB position. The backup QB position to me is arguably one of the worst in the league. Um, that's another situation I felt that they didn't remedy. So you better oh, we got time for that. If there's anything we can talk about every week, if there's, if there's anything we can talk about every week, it's quarterback. So th that's it for this week. Under the radar, we're going to keep you with the offense so we can keep things moving along here just yeah, a little bit because we got a couple more things to talk about here before we uh, before we wrap this episode. And uh, the next thing I want to know from you is what is it, you know, it's year two with Kirk Cousins, but year one with Stefanski, Kubiak, Dennison, all of that going on. When the pads come on and things really get going, 
What is it that you're going to be looking to see from the offense as we get into training camp and as the preseason games start going? I'm really just looking to see – oh, again, excuse me. Uh, I just want to see some cohesiveness. I want to see – because our defense, we know our defense is going to be sound. We know that they're going to be fundamentally just really good, and they have some high-end talent. I want to see the offense be able to con- compete against them. And I, it's camp, so there, there's usually always going to be some give and take from both sides on offense and defense, no matter how good or bad each side is. Just because you see each other so often, you kind of, you know, there's a, there's tells. You, you obviously know each other really well. So there's going to be that give and take, but I would like to see the offense be able to hold their own across the offensive line. For example, I'd like to see the offensive line be able to win their matchups. Brian O'Neill against a Daniil Hunter or an Everson Griffin. Um, Josh Klein against Linval Joseph. Pat Elfline against Linval Joseph. I'm not Shamar Stefan. I, I think those guys could beat him. Um, you know, those, those kind of matchups, that's what I want to see. I, want, I just want to see them to be able to hold themselves up better than what we've seen in the past. I want to see the offense be able to make – Stretch, stretch the field a little bit more. Make some plays downfield. See if Irv Smith can can catch on really quickly and be a guy that contributes right away as that seam stretcher that allows Kyle Rudolph to stay underneath. That it, like he, you know what he's what he's been able to do and be that possession tight end. See what they do with the receiver position in terms of how the how the routes we're going to see them run. What kind of routes the uh, the full on play action that we I expect to see happen more often. At, um, than what we've seen as well. So that that's kind of what I want to see from the offense. What what's going to be? What are we going to see different than what we saw last year in terms of the style of play? Obviously, we know it's going to be a lot different because they're going to be under center more often. It's going to be two tight ends. Um, it's going to be more. Um, the offensive line is going to be on the move a lot more. So I want to see the offensive line on the move. How do they? How do they work cohesively together? Do those guys get out into space? Can they get to the second level? Because we have some guys that you have some question marks on. Can they get to the second level? They have ath- athletic traits, but you want to make sure that that's something that they can do on a continuous basis because knowing Gary Kubiak, he's going to want to do that quite often in this kind of style of offense. And then I just kind of want to see the sprinkles um, that uh, that uh, Kevin Stefanski puts in of his own his own wrinkles, per se, to, you know, to his – because technically he's the offensive coordinator. So, you know, based off – you know, obviously it's going to be Gary Kubiak's system – but what is what is Kubiak or not Kubiak? What does Stefanski bring of his own to this offense? That's a little bit different than uh, than just a straight uh, Kevin, uh, Gary Kubiak offense. All right, I like it. I like it. I like it. And, uh, and obviously, yeah. Kirk Cousins. You just want to see him. You want to see him be able to. This is this is the offense that they built around for him. That they know that he. I won't say the the I won't say the word thrive, but he played. He, he played well, and he was a top ten quarterback in this same similar similar offense back in twenty was it twenty sixteen? Jason, you know better than me. Uh, 15, 15, I believe was the year that that uh, was his was peak season, but I could be saying that wrong. I, I will 16, look it up though, while you're making your point. Yeah. You're getting your point off here. But they did that because they know that last year they 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 treated Kirk like he was the way they paid him. They treated him like he was the top or one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And that's not me saying Kirk can't be a top 8 to 10 quarterback when he plays at the high at his highest level. He can be, but they didn't do it. To me, in my opinion, they didn't do him justice in that way where they just expected him to be that guy. That's that's not on Kirk more than that is more than it's on uh the the offensive the coaches and the and the front office. 
this year at least they built an offense around him that's that's suited to more of what his overall skill set is and what his his best abilities are and that's the play action and that's the quick hitters that's the um the stretch runs you know the stuff like that the stuff where he can manipulate defenses through um play fakes and um and you know quick reads and and deep throws downfield off of play action stuff like that deep crossers all that all that good stuff that's what he's he thrives in so that's what you want to see him so you want to see that um you want to see him be able to do that on a consistent level but elevate it to that next step because he has to get to that next level if this if this team is going to go anywhere past the first or second round of the playoffs all right, let's uh, let's go. And, and 2016 was the year that, that Kirk threw for almost 5,000 yards. He made the Pro Bowl. His yards per attempt were 8.1 in that season. Uh, and then 2015, he was also very efficient. He had a completion percentage near 70%. Uh, yards per attempt to 7.7. Adjusted yards per attempt 7.8. So both were, were very efficient seasons for him. But 2016 was the more prolific one in that he put up all of those yards. And so that's usually what people are thinking about. And that's what we're hoping for. Maybe not as many yards, because if he's throwing for that many yards, then we're probably losing. Yep. And uh, we don't want that. But if we can get that efficiency, I'm sure most of us will be happy with that. I say most because I'm looking at you, Adam West. I'm looking <laughs> at you. All right. Well, the next thing, because we're talking about the offense, we're talking about what we uh, expect to see from them. The defense. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, but the thing that uh, that, that came up, um, and it's come up a couple times on Twitter, people have not liked the takes that have come out on the uh, Pocket Protectors podcast where you know, Nick Olson had said something that you know seems a bit crazy, that the Packers might be a more talented team. Eric has been on Twitter uh, standing up for, for the man, his, uh, his co-analyst on the Pocket Protectors podcast. And one of the things that Eric did bring up is that the Vikings defense regressed a bit last season. They were still very good. But some key players, some key people that we have come to rely on on the Vikings defense are getting a little older. One of the things a lot of us are banking on is that Everson Griffin is going to come back. He's going to be healthy. He's going to play like the old Everson with some of the other things obviously obviously that happened off the field behind him. Harrison Smith is going to continue to be Harrison Smith. Xavier Rhodes is going to bounce back. Um, and so on and so forth. Linville Joseph is going to continue being who he is. But when you start to go through some of those players and really look at the ages, you start to see that maybe this defense is starting to get a little bit older. So as you project forward and think about what's going to happen with this Vikings defense, what are your concerns? Are you worried about a potential regression with the defense getting older and, you know, maybe some of those guys falling off an age cliff and us having a, you know, I guess what would be a similar season to to 2010 when uh, the defense just got old. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you have guys, Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, uh, where are the other ones? Harrison Smith, Xavier Rhodes, all these guys are getting, are either at 30 or pushing 30. So that, that's the worry for, you know, this, this defense is some of their key players that the guys that have been cornerstones of your defense for the last four to five years, they're getting up there in age. I mean, obviously you have guys that help replace them. You have guys like Daniel Hunter, um, Anthony Barney, Eric Kendricks are going to be around for a little while still. Um, and hopefully Anthony Harris can continue on that, that upward tw- trend while wow, twin trend. Um, my worry, and I'm a big, I'm a huge Mike Hughes fan. Um, I think if he hadn't gotten hurt, you might see him right now. I think they might've, if he hadn't gotten hurt, they might've traded a Trey Waynes or a Mackenzie Alexander in the off season, because that's how good I believe he is or could be. 
Uh, I just think the worry is obviously if how he comes back from the ACL injury. But to me, outside of Xavier Rhodes, you don't – and I, I'm excluding Mike Hughes because of the injury right now. To me, you don't have a shutdown corner. You don't have somebody that can come in and uh, take away the, the defense's number one pass catcher. Uh, Trey Waynes isn't that. Uh, it's pretty relevant that it's not even that close, uh, that he's not that. Um, and then uh, Mackenzie Alexander is a really good, and I think he's developed himself into a really good slot corner, but, and that's an important position, but that's not, uh, it's not one of those positions that it's like, it's important and you need three cornerbacks, but it's, it's not a shutdown. You need, to me, you need, you need a number one shutdown corner, especially as we've seen in this, in this defense, it's really helped the rest of the defense play at a higher level when Xavier Rhodes is shutting down a team's number one uh, uh, wide receiver. And then Harrison Smith, you just hope that's that, that cliff stays, <laughs> he stays on top of that cliff for a couple more years, because unless, unless Anthony Harris really takes a huge leap, uh, losing a guy like Harrison Smith or him falling off a cliff, that ha- that'd be almost detrimental to this defense because of how much he does and, uh, and how he plays and the impact he makes across the board. All right. Okay. So yeah, we've talked offense. We've talked defense. We talked underrated, the guy, under, some under the radar guys next week when we have the full crew back here, I think we're going to go through some roster predictions, uh, talk about, you know, maybe some of the surprise people that we expect to uh, make or miss the final cut. Like long snappers. Oh, wait, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's where we're going to lead. You got to lead with uh, with the long snappers. Well, when and, you're, uh, drafting, yeah, I guess when you're we, drafting them, you have to, right? Yeah, once we get everyone back, we'll also we'll run through those Mr. Mankato predictions. So it's probably cheating. We'll have about a week of understanding about what's going on with these guys. But I'll, whatever. Give, my, I'll give my Mr. Mankato prediction, though, since oh, I'm boy. here. And you can okay. give me you – you should give yours, too. So, so, I mean, you're just going for it right now? Well, yeah, that's I don't want – I don't want it. I put it on the timeline today. Um, so it's it's out there. I don't want it to – to go after a week, the guy I picked, maybe he's already pretty much in the running for it. Uh, I picked BC Johnson, um, but I know a lot of people are like Hercules Mataf is a big one. The other, the other name I thought about picking was Marcus Epps, uh, safety, but I'm going with BC Johnson. Okay. All right. Well, you know, just, you know, my, the first long form, fully researched article, I think I wrote when we, I'm not sure if it was on, Climbing the pocket if we were still back in the old uh, I don't hate Sam Bradford days. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know how I feel about the tight end position. And I feel like, uh, you know, it might be cheating because he's an earlier round guy. But the guy that I expect to just, you know, blow up, do some things, give us uh, thoughts of, of Jordan Reed is, uh, is, is the man Irv. But he technically doesn't count. Uh, he, he's going to count. Oh, okay. We're, 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 it's not Mr. Mankato anymore. It's Mr. Egan Prairie or whatever. The, where, where are they at now? What part of Minneapolis, Minnesota? Where do they? The TCO, performance, other name, other name, other name, training camp. So if they can change all that stuff up, I can decide who I want to pick. All right. And he's going to be my guy. I mean, other than that, it's going to be Dylan Mitchell. He has a great analytic profile, so we'll go head-to-head wide receivers. But uh, the guy that I expect to be the actual star of training camp is going to be Urs. Uh, but then if I'm yeah. going to stay within the, 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 the confines of the rules, I'll go with Dylan Mitchell because I do like his analytic profile. And uh, I'm interested to see what he does when he actually gets out there and starts playing the game. Yeah. For real. And he's young too. Yeah. So there we go. Dylan Mitchell, but really Irv Smith. But Dylan Mitchell, that's what we have to do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, uh, and last, 
certainly not least, Miles. You know, every at the end of every episode, I'm, I message you a little bit here and uh, talk about you know what do you got, what are you working on, what you got coming up, what's going on next, what's happening, what's happening. And most of the time, uh, you're like, nah, man, I'm busy. You know, I got a baby and work and traveling and all this other stuff. But uh, you know, maybe this time you feel like there's something going on that maybe you want to <laughs> share, you want to tease a little something, talk about what might be going on. Yeah. Or- yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, so Flip and I, you guys know uh, Flip. He's a friend of the pod, a friend of the uh, uh, Climb of the Pocket and Daily Norseman. Uh, you know, Flip and I, are, we're looking at, we're not looking, we're going to be starting our uh, a, a fantasy podcast. And it's going to be called uh, Climb of the Pocket Fantasy with uh, with Flip and, with Miles and Flip. So we're we're really excited about it. Um, we're going to be set to uh, to drop that sometime next week, I'll I'll give you a little bit more details when those when those come out. But um, expect to see your first climb in the pocket fantasy podcast next week. That's we might have we might have a we might have a pretty special guest too. Uh, still kind of nailing down those details. Yeah, working on that, working on that special guest. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get that podcast kicked off. We're gonna get it kicked off in a big way. Super excited for this latest bit from uh, from Miles and Flip, and uh, it's certain to be good times. And we're gonna. Yo, keep adding, keep adding, keep adding. And if you're out there and you're someone who maybe has been considering starting a podcast and not sure if you want to jump all the way in and uh, you want to maybe talk about joining the uh, the fastest growing Vikings podcast network, holler at your boy. We'll see what we can figure out. Brown Jason on Twitter. But that's it. That's all, Miles. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on and recording this evening. Everyone send good vibes to JR, who is out there battling with the two twins right now, trying to get somebody to sleep so he can get some sleep. And, uh, you know, shout out to Saxy Prince out there, you know, chasing the dreams, working on his craft, getting his act on, doing some improv. And, uh, yeah, that's it. We will be back and uh, talking to you soon. Have a good one.